All right. Feels good to be back in the saddle. Another episode, episode 64 of the Big Ticket Life Show. I've got my fellow friend in Apex, Apex Entourage, Charles Cannon joining me. Welcome to the show, Charles. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm good, man. Appreciate you being here. You saw some of our Apex friends there. Going to do a little housekeeping. First of all, I think I got to thank my producer, Chris, from Cast Ahead, Chris Stone, because I think he touched up some of the graphics and stuff on that intro. It was looking... It was looking pretty uh, pretty tidy there, so I appreciate that. And if I'm dreaming it, it looks really good. So that's, that, <laughs> that's an endorsement of Chris and his work because there's no way I could do 64 episodes of a podcast on this show and like 87 episodes on another show that I do in the one business I have. There, there's no way I could do it alone, right? So coming together as a group and a team is is, is good. And I'm sure we'll touch about that, touch on that subject today, right, Charles? About teamwork. Yeah, absolutely. Coming together, everybody pulling the right direction. Um, one other little housekeeping thing. Uh, in the Apex world, we've got a number of different events that happen throughout the year's time. I'm a fan of Apex. I'm a fan of what it does for people, how it changes people's lives, the crew it creates, right? The people you run with, um, the connections you make. That's how you and I are connected, Charles. And uh, so Apex has a women's event coming up, Women of Apex dot com is where you're going to go to that. So if you're a lady in business and in life, you're looking for that next level to hit that next goal. Uh, you want to be challenged. Great event to go to. Uh, I sponsored it last year. Uh, happening again this year. Womenofapex.com. I believe it's mid-April. Still time to get in. In Texas, it's easy to get into Texas, fly into Dallas. So womenofapex.com. Be sure to go there. But uh, I think that's all the business and housekeeping. So Charles, welcome in, man. Appreciate you joining me. Before you kick Thank the day you. off, you've, as I understand it, you've already got a couple hours in. So why don't you uh, lead off what your day looks like for people as a, as a general manager of a big uh, big car dealership? Well, for me, actually, my day starts at four a.m. in the morning. Um, I get up and go to the gym. Um, you know, it's uh, and I usually work out hour hour ish, a um, little bit lower, depending on what I'm doing for that day. I get home, you know, take a shower, meditate, you know, and get ready for my day. I usually arrive at work, you know, before eight a.m. And uh, it, the main reason why I do it is it allows me time to decompress, think about my goals for the day, look at reports from the night before, see where metrics are for, for the different departments and see what I need to do that day to make sure we accomplish what we need to accomplish. So I, I'm going to venture a guess here that uh, it's rare these words come out of your mouth. I don't have time for that. <laughs> no, I, I, I make time. If it's important, we right. make time for it. You don't have a choice. You have to, especially if it's something... Job related, or, or you know, one of my associates needs help with something. I put things aside and take care of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I, I would imagine the fact that you engineer your day, and that's really what you're doing is engineering your time. You know, you know, you have a responsibility to the folks, and you're still at a Lexus store. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm a Lexus store yeah. here, and uh, right at this is a place called Colma, but it's right outside of San Francisco. You know, the joke right. is here is. Coma is where uh, everybody in San Francisco, San Francisco bears are dead. So there's more people underground <laughs> than above ground. That's the joke around here. <laughs> but everybody needs a car. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you're still, you're still, you know, you you got a busy, busy life as a general manager of a car dealership. And we can dig into that a little bit, uh, a little bit more in our time together. But, you know, you said something key. You read those reports from last night in the morning. And I'm venturing a guess if you, you know, you're kind of on a mission right now, but I'm venturing a guess when you're home with family, you're doing that the same way. So that, that time in the evenings is with yeah, family. So, is that right? So for me, yeah, it is. I'm in a unique situation right now because my family's still back in the Houston area. I have four kids and um, the reason why they're still there is two of my daughters. One was in college last year. I mean, one was in high school. She was a senior and then one's mm-hmm. graduating this year. And uh, once she graduates, then my wife and two younger kids are going to move down here with me. So for me, my, my family, I do have family in the area, um, but my wife and kids are still there. And it's just our, our family time is FaceTime. Uh, you know, I am fortunate. I do go home once a month-ish to hang out with them for a few days. And, uh, you know, my company allows me to do that. And so I hang out with them. But, you know, I do miss, unfortunately, I do miss a lot of events, but... Um, for long-term benefit, the family understands what's going on and what my mission is here. Yeah. So tell us about that. I mean, I, I kind of figured that's what you would say is there's a, there's a long-term goal. Um, everybody's kind of pulling together in the moment for 
a long-term vision, a long-term plan. Uh, walk us through that. What was that like talking with the family about it? So for me, um, w- when this opportunity came about, you know, initially I, I wanted to stay in the Houston area because I want to be by my family. Uh, but this was such a great opportunity uh, that I I feel I couldn't pass it up. And obviously, you know, I had to get the okay from the wife. Um, he didn't approve it. It wasn't going to happen. Uh, but luckily she did. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worked out well ever since. Um, you know, it's, you know, we go through struggles, obviously. Uh, you know, it can be frustrating because she's, she's a super mom. You know, she still works two jobs and she's taking care of the, the kids and make sure everything's done. So, you know, luckily I have my mom and her mom and other, have other family there to, to help her out. But, uh, which gives me a little bit of peace of mind knowing that they're taking care of if something were to come up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good that the family's on board. Um, and it's the, you know, I, I was a kid that moved around a lot as a child. And, uh, you know, it's a struggle for kids. It's a struggle for young kids, especially I think nowadays too. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was too. Um, yeah. I was in the Houston area, but I went to three different high schools and, uh, you know, so I know what it's like to move around and I didn't want my kids to experience that, uh, especially yep. my older two that were in high school, cause that's such a crucial time. Uh, my younger two, you know, with one being in elementary school, one in middle school, I think they can adjust and, and they're actually, yeah, well, one's looking forward to it. One isn't, but I think they'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and just as a little aside for anybody listening, watching, you know, um, one thing to consider about your children, you know, whether you have children or you're an aunt and uncle or grandparent, whatever. Um, the thing with kids in school today is if you think back in our time, right? Like Charles and I, we both moved around. We went through that struggle. It was difficult to make friends. Maybe there was somebody that came into our day that was a little bit of a bully or an outright bully, you know, but you and I got to leave school and now, and that connection, whether it was good or bad ended, you know, uh, unless you were, you know, kind of hung out in the playground. But even then when that ended, it ended. Now with social media, you know, if there's something negative going on in that school life and those four walls of school, it just translates right over to the phone, translates right over through all these apps that the kids are on. And, you know, if your kid's struggling, maybe, maybe connect with them and understand that, you know, it ain't just happening at school. It's probably happening right in their phone, following them around just as an aside. I mean, this is, this is something that's kind of becoming a real problem in our nation. Um, so. I just felt compelled to share that in that moment. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts One, to add to that. Oh, yeah. No, 100% agree with that. It's, uh, yeah, we grew up in the era before social media. Um, but right now with social media and, and my wife, she's a, a, a high school counselor and, and she was a middle school counselor before. So I hear all the stories uh, that she tells about these kids and some of these kids really go through struggles and, and, you know, bullying is real. Um, especially the, the online stuff and some of these. Uh, social media apps, it can be pretty bad for some of these kids, um, which is why, you know, I encourage, you know, you know, and I don't tell people how to parent, obviously, but you want to monitor their social media and make sure that they're on the right stuff and not spend a lot of time on it and, and different things like that. Yeah. Now, a hundred percent, you know, funny, I would, funny, I would bring up about that. And then your wife's a high, uh, high school guidance yeah. counselor. So yeah. Yeah. You guys, you guys know all about it. You got all, the, all the details, all the inside Absolutely. baseball. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, when you're, when you're, when your uh, submission to jump on the show came across, um, you know, we're, we're connected through Apex. So that's how we got to know one another, put the call out. Hey, I'm, I'm looking to fill the calendar a little bit. You know, really uh, two things about this. One, I think it's important to always have the power of your group, your power of your connection, right? The fact that somebody is in Apex with me, uh, by and large, they cross that hurdle of being on the show. Right. Because I know there's a standard, there's a standard of excellence that we all share. Um, and you know, you exceeded that. I'll tell, I'll, I'll straight up say it. You're the first guest I've had on my show to say, I read the template that you sent out. I prepared. I was ready. You know, even, even the little lines that Chris lines up to make sure we're, we're setting the video, you were largely like right there in the zone. Right. And uh, so that's great. But, um, the other interesting thing, and let's let's kind of dig into this here a little bit. So you, uh, unlike a lot of my other guests, I think you are my first person who doesn't own their own business. So let's walk through that dynamic. You know, you, you said you came out to California, you have a great opportunity. Obviously, you believe in your employer, Lexus of, of Saramonte. Is that, that's correct. I have that correct. That right? is correct. Yep. Yep. Okay, very good. And obviously, you believe in them. Obviously, they believe in you. You know, you've written a book, you're speaking. Um, so those things have impact on your time at the store. 
Talk about that dynamic of being an employee and, and how you approach your day for your employer and the, and the leverage and opportunity they give you to, uh, to do some things that, that scratch your itch of passion and scratch your itch of pursuit for yourself. Well, you know, I am fortunate to work for a company. It's, uh, this dealership's owned by Sonic Automotive and, and they look out for, uh, their, what we call teammates. And I encourage everybody to have passions outside their job. Um, especially, you know, being in sales, it can be a grind at times. And, and I encourage everybody to find your passion, spend time with it. You know, I encourage them to take off. I, especially my managers every 90 days, take a weekend off, refresh your batteries. Um, mm. cause you know, this can be a grind and, and, it's okay to have passions outside of work. Um, and as far as myself, you know, I always tell my teammates, as long as you're getting the job done and you're taking care of your responsibilities, you don't have to be here all day, all the time. Um, and for me, I, I, I pick and choose what things I, I, uh, I do outside of work because my time is valuable. So I don't just sit around and do things that, that aren't passionate for me. Um, but I always encourage everybody around me to make sure they do that, whatever that is, as long as it's morally ethically right. Spend time doing it and have fun. Sure, sure. Yeah, I love that. I love that style of leadership. Happy for you. You said it was Sonic Auto. Yeah, Sonic Automotive. Yeah, yeah. That's the name. Yeah, of give the them a little yeah. Sonic Automotive. Yeah. Give them a little shout yeah. out for creating a great culture where yeah, great folks like Charles get to get to lead and excel and pursue their things and at the same time deliver deliver for Sonic, deliver for Lexus, a Saramonte. That's cool. Um, my next question just flew right off the top of my head, just like that. Um, <laughs> It's funny how that happens. Um, oh, tell me about your book. So you wrote a book. Um, and uh, that's not something everybody does. Uh, you know, so you wrote that and um, rules of the game. There it is. Rules to the game. Yeah. So, so for me, cool. it was. Got- uh, yeah. So I've this is actually my second book I wrote. My first one was more of a booklet. Um, 10 things to look for a professional salesperson. That one was more of a, uh, I called it a business card on steroids. So whenever mm-hmm. I was with a guest and for every reason we couldn't close, instead of getting a business card, I gave my book and it, love it. It, it more than paid for itself. Um, but it, it was just me a dab into writing it. And so, uh, January of last year, um, I was like, okay, I'm coming up 20 years in the business and you know, I'm here by myself. I don't really have much to do besides work. So I said, why not sit down and write a book? And it had been in my mind for the past couple of years, but I didn't really take it seriously. So I just started writing and uh, it be- quickly became a passion project of mine. I worked on it literally every day, uh, probably at least an hour, sometimes two. It just, I would just write a little bit at a time. And then uh, when it finally came time, you know, thanks to Apex, I found an editor uh, that I could use, Sean April Hall, and she honed it and made it better for me. Um, and so on a side note, get an editor. No matter how good mm-hmm. you think you are, there's the, they do this for a living and she saw stuff that I didn't and she pushed stuff and she admitted stuff and, and she did a phenomenal job. So, you know, whether you use April or anybody else, get an editor because it just makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, but it, it, for me, the book, it's a kind of autobiography slash, um, how I got in the position I'm in today. Cause you know, a lot of people ask. You know, how'd you get in your position you're in today right now? And so I say, Hey, here's my book. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, again, it's, you know, was, I know Apex, they always say you should write a book. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And it's, it's done a great job for me so far. Again, I haven't, again, it's not a New York Times bestseller. That was not my point of it. Um, I know it's kind of intuitive what a lot of people say, but for me, it was just something to have out there and just say, I've written a book. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll pick up where you left off and then we'll dig into the power of books because I'm a big believer in it. Uh, when I do my consulting work with clients direct, uh, those that I coach with my, my buddies, Matt and Clay, now in the Battlefield Alliance, um, a book is a big part of success. I mean, my office right now is a little asunder because we had a flood here on the first floor. And normally my, my shows are from my actual podcast studio upstairs. But because of this knee surgery, I have to sit down for the hour that I share with our great guests. But actually... Right there, I'll just kind of point down that corner there. That's all books that I've either written or helped people write or have licensed content out to others. So they kind of have a book where they were the author of the book. And um, uh, 
I'm a big believer in the power of of a book, and and you you use kind of my words. It's a business card on steroids. Um, I love it. So that the the first um, guide, as I would call it, in my language, the ten ten things to look for in a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Is that what it was called? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a thing to look for in a professional salesperson. Yeah, yeah. When uh, so so, what inspired you to write that? Where'd you get the Where'd you get the the drive there? Yeah. And so at the time I was on the sales floor and I really, this is before I went into management and I talk about in the book, I was at that point, I had no desire of being in management. This was in 2014. Uh, so I was looking for ways to mark myself and be unique and stand out in the marketplace. And I just came across that. Some, I've written, I've read an article somewhere that said, write a book. And I was like, mm, okay, I can do that. And, and I just wrote something down and again, it's, <laughs> I'll be frank, it's not a great book, but it, it, the point was to put my name out there and instead yeah. of a business card to give them a book. And and it worked. I, I sold a, had a lot of customers come back and I sold a lot of cars because of it. So it, it did its job. Yeah. I mean, what you did there, that was, that was what I call imperfect action. Yeah. You know, uh, there's, I'm sure other people, I'm sure tons of other people read that article. In fact, we'll, we'll break it down through the 80, 20 rule right now. If there were a thousand people that read that same article, you did 800 of them did nothing. They didn't even give yeah. a thought to the, yeah. that passage that referenced about writing a book. 200 of them were like, that's a good idea. I'll clip the article, save it in my to-do list. I'll, I'll write it down somewhere in that journal that I keep. And then they never got back to it. Right. Yeah. From that group of 200, 160 never pushed it forward. 40 probably pushed it forward. And then if we look at it again, 80, 20, you know, 36 of those people, or I'm sorry, 32 of those people probably got a draft done somewhere. And you're one of eight that got that draft done and put it out, you know, and, and that's, that's really how the, you, when you start looking at people, uh, if you're looking to hire and you, and you think about, you hear something that somebody's done. Start looking at it through that lens, that that fractal layer of eighty twenty, right? Bringing it down and say, and that'll tell you the the, the quality of the person you have in front of you. Um, it's really an interesting exercise to go through. So kudos to you, I love it. We, you know, I've got a retail mattress store, one of the businesses that I have interest in and and call. Nice. And uh, we, the first thing we did when we bought that, actually, it was done ready to mail before we turned our open sign on, was a guide called "What's Keeping You Up at Night." And it was yeah. a guide about how to buy a mattress. And the whole premise was, and if you're thinking about this, if you're on the fence, if you've got a draft somewhere, if you're that person that clipped that article, if you're a person who's hearing this podcast, you're like, you know, this is the eighth time I've heard people talking about books and guides and tip sheets, something other than a business card. This is, this is it. This is the message. Do it. Because we had that guide written before we turned the lights on. And, uh, man, it, it's something that really transformed our business. And we've since expanded to other guides and we have a book and that book we now license back to the industry. So other retailers can, can be pseudo authors, uh, which has provided an income stream to us that's differentiated. Um, so it's just, it's powerful, powerful what those things can do. Um, oh, absolutely. It brings you, it brings you a level of credibility in the market. Um, because when somebody, is actually holding your book, it brings a higher level of respect, in my opinion, mm-hmm. versus somebody that didn't because they know it's a lot of work to write a book. It's not something you just do overnight. Yep. It takes a lot of time. And for a lot of people who don't know, yes, it takes months, years. I mean, it took me six months, but I know if my family was here, it would have taken me a, a year because I couldn't have spent the time and, and and not spent time with my family if they weren't here. Yeah, yeah. You ever have a, do you ever have a customer come in and say, you know, Hey, I really loved your guide. In fact, maybe I'm filling up the answer, but, uh, sure. I'm sure they came in, they came back and they assessed you versus everybody else. Was your, was your guide, your book, a deciding factor? Did they absolutely did they was I, that? I, yeah, they did. I can't tell you how many times people were like, I'm just impressed that you did something like this. They were impressed when they got it. They're respecting the business card. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go anywhere to a traditional dealership, you just get a business card. But when yeah. you all of a sudden you have a book and it was only, I think, 40 pages. So it was small. It wasn't, it was more of a booklet. But just the fact you right. have something like that in your hand, it just, it just builds credibility that you can't otherwise build. And, and 
it can make a difference of whether they come back to you or see somebody else. But, you know, it, it very definitely made a difference for me. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that power of it right there, Charles saying it, other guests have said it. If it's on your mind, engineering that time, right? Yeah. If you're, if you're getting up a little later in the day and you have opportunity to get to bed a touch earlier, wake up a little earlier, do it or work on it later at night if you're a night owl, but engineer that time because it does pay off. And yet again, here's another guest expressing that, that it works. So rules to the game is uh, a more expanded book, more of a, like a book book, right? Sits on the shelf, yeah. like over my shoulder, yeah. has yeah. a spine. Um, so you had something pretty cool happen just recently because you wrote that book. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm part of a, a local, uh, the public library association. And they were looking for a featured speaker. Um, I'm, I'm part of the committee and they said, well, since you wrote a book, why don't you speak about it? Speak about power, power libraries. I was like, cool. And so it gave me an opportunity that otherwise I probably wouldn't have gotten if I didn't write the book. And so it, it worked out for me. I, was, I ended up speaking in front of 150 people about, um, uh, why public libraries are important to society. Um, mm-hmm. And it, you know, it was a 10 minute speech, but I think it went pretty well. And, you know, I, in there, I did sprinkle stuff about my book. Um, but, you know, it just brought, uh, again, it was an opportunity that I probably would not have gotten if it wasn't for that. Yep. So I'm going to kind of, uh, maybe make a little noise, rustle around here because I, I want to see. And, and, and again, I want to do this because if I can find it, it's going to be, I think you're going to like it. Um, there's something that my grandfather did connected to books and libraries back in the day. And I'd love to be able to show. It's why it pays, pays you as a listener, if you're just listening on audio, to watch the show because we do cool video stuff while we're doing this show. So you should always watch if you can and listen. But either way, I appreciate your support. So Charles, tell us, tell us why libraries are important to you. How, you know, what is it about libraries that you want to convey to people listening and watching right now? So for me, um, you know, when I was doing research on this, the, the initial thing people think is that you don't need libraries because, uh, you have the internet, you have Siri, you have Alexa to answer your questions. But, you know, libraries are more than just books. They are, uh, places where communities gather. Um, one of the main benefits is, is places where the underserved in our community, uh, have access to internet and, and books and other stuff that otherwise a lot of people wouldn't. Um, you know, obviously everybody on this podcast has access to internet, but there are a lot of people out there that still don't have access to internet that wouldn't have access to books. Um, you know, librarians play a great benefit as well because they can help somebody with research. Um, cause you know, sometimes you, you see information on the internet and you think it's right, but you know, a librarian can guide you in the right direction that's properly trained. And then obviously you have access to, you know, uh, magazines and, and historical archive stuff that is, you otherwise you probably wouldn't have if it wasn't for a physical library. And then on top of that, they are, they're great gathering spots for communities. You know, people can get together and have their book clubs or, uh, different events like that that can help them, uh, you know, find other like-minded people. And, you know, one of the, probably one of the more interesting things that I found is that the, uh, the millennial generation prefers a physical book versus, um, a digital one. Um, that's not very interesting. Yeah, it is, but I verify it because all four of my kids, they prefer a physical book. They don't like Kindles or reading on their devices. Me, I like reading on my, on my phone or on my iPad, but they don't. They prefer a good physical book. And so have they, know, have they said why that is? They just prefer turning pages. That's what they okay. said. It's, it's, uh, you know, they find it kind of weird reading on a digital device, even though they literally do everything else. Right. Uh, and maybe it's like, I'm going to read. I want that time away. Reading is yes. pleasurable. And yes. I'm, yeah. Cool. Very interesting. Very cool. Hey, so I found it. I found what I wanted to share. Okay. My grandfather, paternal grandfather now, both of my grandfathers were very interesting individuals. Um, my maternal grandfather uh, had a tremendous impact on my life. My paternal grandfather was an interesting cat, immigrant from Italy. Um, orphaned off at the age of three or four to a, uh, an Amish farm in Quakertown, Pennsylvania was basically a child, a child laborer, uh, through the age of 16, had an eighth grade education at the most, um, yeah, interesting life. Um, you know, your laundry detergent bottle that has a little pour spout in it. Yeah. That was my grandfather. He brought 
injection molding machines over from Italy and then retooled them here and made that. And if he wasn't such a stubborn guy and wasn't such a I'll go alone kind of guy, I wouldn't be sitting here because when, when uh, Procter and Gamble came to, to buy that, he said, I, I can take it further on my own. I don't need you. Uh-huh. Well, he, and, and because of his upbringing, he had a great just distrust in government, uh, you know, because society had let him down. Yeah. You know, his father was able to orphan the children and divorce his mother. And, you know, his, his childhood wasn't great. So he just didn't, he didn't protect his IP and they took it. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm sitting here today enjoying yeah. my big ticket life show with you. Yes. Yes. But I might have had another life where I was a trust fund yes. kid. I don't, I don't yeah. know that that life would have been any better. But what I want to show you is, uh, is this. Um, so put it on the screen here. So that's a book bus. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And my grandfather, um, pioneered that concept of taking books to people that maybe didn't have access to books as much as others. And no matter where he was, he always put out, buy a book and give a book. And we'll give a book to a local library. That local library was, in fact, inner city libraries. Because mm-hmm. he understood that folks in the city didn't have access like maybe folks in the suburbs had. And that was his way, that was his way of kind of dovetailing into society and, and helping people. And uh, he was really passionate about reading. I remember their house, they had a massive, they had a bookstore, like a retail bookstore. And he was in all facets of books at one point, distribution, publishing, retail. Um, so he was, a, he was an interesting cat, but I figured you'd like that because he yeah. always made it a point to, to get books to people and get books in front of people. And people that couldn't afford books or couldn't have access to great books, he did everything he could to get them to them. Um, That's very cool. Yeah, he did that. He did that for a number of years. That was his thing. Um, Pretty interesting, pretty interesting guy. So at any rate, just figured I'd share that in the moment since we got to talk about libraries. Absolutely. Libraries are important. Your book gave you uh, the opportunity to speak, which is another reason to write a book, right? If you're, if you're looking for that authority outside of just publishing a book, because let's face it today, um, you know, like podcasting, anybody with a microphone, which if you got a cell phone, you got a microphone that can record things. You can literally be a podcaster on Spotify for free with the free voice memo app you have on your phone. You can be a podcaster, right? Yep. Yep. Um, with, with Amazon's uh, print-on-demand and Kindle, Kindle uh, universe of things, a lot of people can write books. And I'm so glad you touched on an editor. Um, glad that you touched on that. So for you, um, writing the book and getting that speaking gig, obviously it, it was something you were close to, but walk through more about what the book's about and where you hope like what that book means for you long-term. So for me, it's a, it's an an autobiography. Um, I start from, from the beginning where I was born to all the way to, um, you know, to the time I I walk into the door and start my first day here at this dealership. Um, and I go through my ups and downs. I talk about my personal life. I talk about how I met my wife. I talk about how I first got into car business. Uh, I talk about some high and low points. You know, I got fired one day. Um, you know, my, my, when my wife was pregnant with our last child and how I recovered and just said, I'll never be in management again because the time I was a pre-owned manager until here I am, you know, 10 years later as a general manager of a dealership, you know, in, in charge of, you know, 80, 90 people, make sure they're well taken care of as well of our guests. So uh, just talk about the mindset of what it takes and what it takes to be successful every single day. And then at the end, I, I kind of talk about, and when I, I taught the rules of the game, I taught, talk about 20 things that I, I feel what makes somebody successful, not only in sales, but in life in general. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I like that you, you know, I like that you, um, you shared in the pre-show that it's about your legacy. Yeah. You know, this is something that your kids can read as they pick up a real book, right? Yes. Your kids yes, can absolutely. read it and, and see what yeah, or or, the, or they can hear me because I have it on Audible as well. So I did it on, on that version yeah. as well. Yeah. That's cool that you do that. Not a lot of people take that step. That's cool that you did that too. Smart because for the folks that want to, read a book on a device that want to read a book in their hand or want to listen to a book, 
it's you got all the bases covered. Really smart. Well, really yeah. Smart. So for me, it actually, when I and I came out with the right four is going to come out, I had a couple people comment, "Man, when are you going to do an audible version?" Because I don't read. I was like, "Okay, let me do it." Mm-hmm. I just sat down and figured out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a real smart lesson because, um, you know, as, as a student of marketing, I really, um, I feel I can hold my own in the marketing game. One of those things is put your messages where people will respond and make it as mm-hmm. easy as possible to respond. You know, um, there are businesses today that still have fax machines, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. And one of the, and, and, and by and large, it's in your more upper crust professions to generalize your lawyers and doctors, um, you know, and I know there's marketers that have tried to cut out facts as a response. Marketers try to cut out direct, direct mail as a response. But the reality is, what's it matter to you? If your customer, if your client, if your listener, your person who wants to read your book, wants it in Audible, give it to them in Audible. They're raising their hand saying, hey, I'm interested, right? So just a little lesson to think about. Um, as you put your, your marketing out there, whether that's a book, whether that's an offer, make it easy for people to respond. Um, so walk us through your general manager of the store now. And you said something, I think it was in the pre-show, you know, if my store can't run for an hour or so without me, it's, that's on me, right? Yeah. You as the leader. So walk us through, like, what's the kind of culture? What's the kind of way you're getting everybody to pull in the same direction? Kind of walk us through some of what Charles got has to share there. So for me, I, you know, it's one of the things when I look at reports every day, I kind of watch for trends and, you know, I just kind of direct my managers and about what I see. And I always tell them, look, I welcome feedback. It's because I see it my way that that doesn't mean that my way is the only way. Um, and so I, I empower them. I tell them, look, you know, this is not a uh, dictatorship. We work as a team and the only way we're going to succeed is, is to succeed as a team. And I emphasize that every single day. I let them know that, um, you know, I'm not going to allow uh, bickering and back and forth and, and, you know, undercutting and stuff like that. You know, I always refer if, if one of their direct reports comes to me, first thing I always say is, what did your manager say? And a lot of times, unless it's just totally asinine, I'll just say, I'll start with the manager because I have to trust them. You know, and, and that's mm-hmm. the whole point. You you trust them, you empower them. And, you know, if they do make a mistake, then I'll pull them to the side and say, hey, I, I disagree and here's why. And you know, a lot of times we can come to a a solution to the to the problem at the time. Yeah, yeah. So the last, uh, last few years have been really, and, and I like the way you manage there because you touched on something, you got to trust your people. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll kind of step back. Let's, let's peel into that a little more. Um, you do have to trust your people, you know, with me, with this knee surgery, I hadn't been to my, my retail business for about six weeks. Um, at the same time, my business partner in that business was in the Bahamas the week I had my surgery and that bled into the week after. He also was able to maintain and did maintain his regular three day a week at the business schedule. No fires happened. Four yeah. walls are still standing. Sales yeah. numbers are great. Yeah. You know, because, because we trust our team and we empower our team. And I loved what you said about, you know, you don't have to do it my way. There are, you know, you don't have to be like me. It doesn't have to be exactly as I say. You don't have to be a robot and deliver the same script verbatim all the time. But I'd imagine you have guideposts. You have guardrails. Mm-hmm. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's barometers and benchmarks. And you, and you reference that, you know, I look at reports and I look for those KPIs, right? You look for those certain things that you want to see happening. Have you found that that's the better way to go or would you have? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Where so are you we, on we the control have, barometer of things? So I, I would say like if it's a, like an analogy, like a bowling alley, you have your, 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 your bumper lanes, you know, you mm-hmm. allow people to kind of stay, as long as they stay in those lanes, they can kind of do what they need to do. Now there's certain processes that we have. We, we internally have it called playbook. Uh, there are certain things that have to be done every single day. It has to be done the same way consistently. And, and it, yep. to me, it's no different than uh, I tell the guys all the time. When you go to a McDonald's, whether you go to McDonald's in Florida or in Texas or anywhere else, it's going to be the same food the same way every time. Why? Because they have mm-hmm. a consistency involved. And so that's what, that's what we're trying to do here at Sonic Automotive is make sure we have a consistency involved. And, but it's a little different because obviously we sell different products and stuff like that. And, and I tell people, look, 
you're you're going to inject your personality, um, and that's okay. But just make sure that you are following the process that needs to be followed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. You know, we had uh, we had in the retail business, unfortunately, uh, a one star review come in, and uh, it was interesting because the review was something along the line of so much for customer service. I bought a mattress, they delivered it, never heard from them again. Okay. Now, on the surface, you read that and they're like, well, this customer bought it, they delivered it, what's the problem? However, we communicate, we don't one night stand our customers. We we call all of our customers, you know, uh, it's going to be a week to two weeks depending on the flow of things after we've delivered it. Uh, Hey, do you love it? You happy? Were you happy with the experience overall? So, because we believe in that. My peers in my in, in that industry, um, they will not make those phone calls because they're afraid that the customer is going to want to return it, which I think says that, more about them than it does the customer. That nothing the more frustrates me. Uh, you know, we, we deal with that in our industry as in general. And I, I tell them, you know, one of the things about uh, being an auto sales is that it's, it's a gratification. And so a lot of the salespeople mindset is instant gratification. And so it's out of sight, out of mind. And I tell them, look, the, the key to long-term success in this business and really any sales business is building a relationship with your guests. And that means you care for them after the sale as well. You follow mm-hmm. up with them after the sale. Yep. You call them the next day. You call them five days, two weeks, 30 days, 90 days, you know, wherever the case is. And, and, and you're calling to genuinely build a relationship to make sure they're happy with their product. And you do that, you do it with genuineness. They'll come back to you tenfold because, you know, they, they like you and trust you. And, and the problem is a lot of times, like you say, there are some people who are afraid to hear what the results are. And I said, well, mm-hmm. no, actually, that's a great time because that's you can be a hero because the problem is going to be there whether you call them or not. And you're going to be proactive and say, okay, let's fix it. Even if it's not your fault, let's take ownership of it. Let's fix it. Let's make it right so we can, uh, you know, make the guests happy. And so, yeah, unfortunately, that is a uh, mindset that the amateurs have. And I tell people, if you want to make this a career, uh, really any sales career, you got to yep. follow with your guests. Because yeah. it's too hard to build relationships, finding new people all the time. You want to make it to where, you know, I, I, I equate it to like a 10-speed bike. When you're first, you're first pedaling your bike, you're pedaling fast, you're doing this, you're doing this. But then as you slow down, you're going the same speed, but your gears are switched. So you're mm-hmm. pedaling slower, but you're going just as fast and not faster. And that's because you built relationships. You have a lot of repeating referrals coming back to you and you're having the same results, yeah. but with less effort. And it just takes time to, to get there initially. But I, I tell everybody, you know, you spend two or three years doing that. The sky's the limit. Yeah. Now a hundred percent. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with all of that. So I end up replying to this review personally. And and this is the thing I think I think business owners are so afraid of, you know, reviews that aren't five star, right? Like yeah. you can't give us a review for five stars. We want to know. We want to keep it out of the public sphere, out of the public eye. We don't do anything like that. We trust. We trust in what we do because that is a process, you know. And I think there's four of them in 13 years that are a one star review. And I will I will happily say, all earned. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. one and this one. Even though we didn't change the software issue that created the problem, we're, we're the captain of the ship. Yeah. Right. And what, and yeah. what actually happened is in our CRM and our software, the, the plugin that makes the task kick off and send to my sales manager to make those phone calls, uh, the way the number was put in, I forget how it was exactly. Either, either the software didn't recognize the dashes or it needed the dashes. I forget exactly which way it went now. Um, doesn't matter. Point being, this person probably out of the seven steps in our wake up happy promise we communicate, the one that resonated with them the most is number seven. We're not going to one night stand you. We're going to call yeah. you and make sure you're happy. Yeah. And, and everything else didn't matter to them. Right. It was, it was yeah. because they were probably burned before mm-hmm. where you touched on it. Problem existed and no one called. Yes. You know, I love to say I had a conversation with them. They chose not to call me back. Maybe they will. They have my personal cell phone number. I sent them a text message. I sent them an email. You know, I'm going to move on. We fixed the issue. I explained what the issue was, but we leave that out there. We don't try to scrub that because there is, you can't, there is a, right. There is a human element to this. That's the thing. If you have 
a hundred five star reviews, I'm gonna look at that company funny mm, because I'm gonna yep. say that that's not you're human. You're not gonna make everybody happy all the time. It's actually yep. good to have some, you know, below five star. Obviously, you don't mm-hmm. want a bunch of them because people can pay attention to see how you respond to them. And yep. you know, I, matter of fact, whenever I interview somebody, I tell them, I say, hey, look, look at our Google reviews. Look at look at us online. See what our guests say because you want to work for a place to where yep. they have consistent consistent reviews. They take care of their guests, and when the issue does come up, they address it. Um, you know, whenever we get bad reviews, um, I always tell the guests to call me directly and we try to rectify it as, as, uh, as quick as possible. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, that's, that's what we do because it's going to happen. It doesn't matter. And, yep. you know, a lot of times I tell my guests, I tell my teammates all the time, look, it may not even be your fault. They may be mad at some other dealership, but because you were the one who put a Google review, a lot of times they'll just put it on there and just, you know, do it that way. And that happens. Yeah. But you have to deal yeah. with it. Yep. Yep. And, and if I had to guess, um, we let that customer down. Yeah. With that seven step, yep. own it all day, every day. If I had to guess, um, probably there was a, a bad day that happened. Maybe it was a bad week. They saw an ad online. They heard a commercial. Maybe they got an email and it was like, all right, now's the time to, now's the time yes. to hit that. Yes. You know what I mean? And yeah. again, that doesn't, that doesn't absolve us of our responsibility, but that just, you know, listen, there's humans on both sides of this thing. I guess that's the mm-hmm. point I want to, mm-hmm. I want to touch on as we look to wrap up. So the last few years, uh, and, and before I go into what the last few years have been like in the car industry, um, everything we just touched on real important because I gather I've never been a Lexus owner, share that mm-hmm. outright. I'm a pickup truck guy, but never uh, that. Yeah, maybe if Lexus, hey, if Lexus makes a pickup truck, you know who to call first, right? Because <laughs> uh, actually right now, and I'm, I'm a Ford guy too, but right now I'm not a happy Ford guy. So there's opportunity for the Chevy and Dodge guys out there, just saying. Um, anyway, at any rate, um, I would imagine a Lexus, a Lexus buyer is a long time Lexus buyer. That's my, that's my assumption and observation. Is that right? Yeah, they are. Um, you know, there was actually a study done by uh, CarMax I read. Uh, probably last year, Lexus has uh, at the time the highest loyalty, and their Lexus RX has the, the RX models have the highest retention out of any model out there in the industry period. So yeah. they do; they have a lot, a lot of loyalty. Yeah. Uh, this store does as well. Um, this store was one of the original fifty dealerships that opened in the country in 1989 when Lexus first oh, came wow. out. So yeah, so they have a long time uh, customer base. And yeah, we have a lot of repeat referrals because people love their Lexus like they love Toyota. It's good, reliable product, great vehicles. Um, yep. and their, uh, you know, reliability is probably the main, one of their main things and, and the technology's there as well. So they're great vehicles yeah. overall. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine if you're, if you're, th- and again, this is kind of, we're going to turn a page like into marketing here. I imagine the avatar is somebody that, you know, somebody that's not affluent or not well established financially. If they want a Lexus, they might save and stretch to a Lexus as well as somebody who is affluent, like Lexus is their thing. It's, it's right in their lane. And then I would imagine it even covers folks that are, that are affluent that could afford a car more upline, you know, the Porsches, right. Um, as a daily driver, but they didn't get that level of affluence by spending it, you know, spending it foolishly. Right. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine Lexus touches that buyer as well. Absolutely. They is do. It, they they have a range. Yeah. yeah, they do. Uh, you have your cars that price in the mid to high thirties, all the way up to you know our LX SUV is one hundred and twenty grand. So you, you know right. you have you have a wide variety of vehicles for a lot of people. And, and yeah, you're right. They they do work with all brands of people. Um, but you know, luxury cars always say are frankly they're status symbols. They're emotional mm-hmm. buys because any if it wasn't for people's emotions, they would just drive a box. But there are yep. different cars out there, different <laughs> brands for a reason, right? You know, for that's right. There's a reason why it's like that. It's because yep, there's people, people love showing off it, a car is the extension of their personality in a way. Uh, it's, it's, you know, for some people, it is showing off, Hey, look what I've done so far to succeed. But others, it, it's just, it's good reliable transportation, but they want to spurge on themselves a little bit for, you know, their hard work they've done in life. Yeah. So the last few years, um, have been difficult for your industry. Supply chain issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, the chip shortages, any and everything. I mean, that, that, every industry's had some struggles. 
So what are some of the ways that you manage that? And, and you know, are there a couple of like success stories where you're able to make a customer happy that wasn't expecting to be made happy, maybe as soon, or they wanted something, didn't think it would be available, but you were able to make something happen? Yeah, so it's, it's a little different. So at the time I was in Houston when COVID hit, so uh, it was a little bit different here in California. I know in California, they basically shut down. In Texas, we didn't. And, you know, I would say industry-wide, it was a great reset. Um, and the reason why I say that is because, you know, in the past, a dealership would have 500 cars on the ground and, and um, you know, to sell the cars. But then they, they realized that, you know what, they can have 150 cars and be profitable and the manufacturer be profitable because they don't put a lot of incentives out there. So it's it was good in that way. Um, it, it, I think it's been a record for guests because people who have cars have gotten all time trade in values for their cars that they normally wouldn't get. Especially, mm-hmm. you know, some of these cars I've seen people literally drive them for a few months and get the exact same money that they would right. uh, as though it was brand new. I mean, who who would yep. think that would be the normal case? But that's still the norm. And even right now, um, you know, wholesale prices are going up. So I tell people, you know, it's still a great time, and it's going to be like this way for the foreseeable future. Um, and, and the reason why is because three years ago today is when, or this month is when, you know, COVID first hit and then we started mm-hmm. having the supply chain issue. So, you know, it's just not a lot of pre-owned cars out there like they were in the past. So I would tell people it's a great time. And it, obviously people are going to say that it's cliche, but it really is a great time right now to have a pre-owned car. And, and uh, if you're looking to trade into a car to sell it, uh, we are starting to see more as an industry, more cars come out there than versus last year. And it's still trending in that direction. Um, and of course, every manufacturer is different. So I can't speak all manufacturers, but a lot of them are, are on their way back to being uh, the, what I call the new normal of uh, how it's going to be. Right, right. So I'm going to put you maybe on the spot, maybe not, but I'm going to okay. ask the question because I think, I think it was an important lesson for some, for some car stores, uh, some operators uh, the last few years. So how did you, how did you guys approach the, the market adjustments on cars that happened the last few years? So for us, you, you know, my philosophy was I want customers long term. Yeah. It, it, and I know there are dealers out there that were just absolutely price gouging. And I, I can't mm-hmm. speak for them, but I always think that, you know what? There's a thing called karma, car karma out there mm-hmm. and people have long term memories. And if you price yep. gouge them now, they're going to remember that. And they might necessarily Amen. come back to your dealership, but as an industry, they're going to remember because all of a sudden they're way upside down. Because they paid yeah. fifty grand over, or whatever the case yep. is. Um, but the other side of it is, is that the market bears what the market bears. And mm-hmm. so, if a car, if every car in the market is selling for ten grand over, and if you even looked at people are flipping these cars and selling them for twenty grand over, then yeah. there's nothing wrong with the dealer making asking for twenty grand over if if the market dictates that and it's a normal market. So it's kind of a two edged sword in that situation. Right. Uh, but for us, my goal was to be the lowest in the market. Uh, it still is right now. Um, yeah. Do we have markup on certain vehicles? Sure. But not, not many of them. And it's very minimal. Um, I, I price shop all the time. I, we have analytics yep. that we use and I always constantly make sure that we're the lowest in the market you know, when it comes to that, because I want long-term customers. I want long-term, what? I want people to go, oh, you're the dealer, that crazy markup. You're the dealer that yep. was very fair. Yeah. Well, you, you started and you ended it with I want longtime customers because I think yeah. I think the lesson that some missed, um, your store not included, but some others missed is, you know, if you can charge twenty five grand over MSRP just because you can, yeah, you know what does what does that say? You know, in, in the car buying process is pretty pretty transparent. Like mm-hmm. there, there's not a lot of hidden things that the buyer and the seller have for the most part, but. When that car goes in the shop for repair, and now you're questioning the bill two or three years later, what does that, what's that customer, you know, and they're not mechanically inclined, you know, so now the transparency is gone a little bit or completely. And they're like, you know, these guys, these guys charged me 25 grand over. I really wanted it. I had the money. I had a good trade. So I bit the bullet, but I just don't feel good about this repair bill now because they set that tone. Three years yeah. ago, when I bought this car, and yeah. that's the thing I think some miss. Would you? Was, is, that, yeah. is that a fair observation? That is a very fair. Yeah, they they thought short term, and you have to think yeah. long term in this business. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, Absolutely. that's the way a lot of people were. Absolutely, Charles, man, I've enjoyed our time together. Yeah, same here. I know, I know your day is getting ready to kick off out there in California. Um, 
You're ready to lead it with greatness. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Uh, we've been flashing on the, uh, on the, on the show as we've been broadcasting it. Uh, your website, people want to get a hold with you. They go to Charles. Is that Charles L. Cannon or I? Yeah. Charles L. Cannon.com. Yeah. I'm on Charles LinkedIn, Cannon. Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Just reach out to me on there. Yep. Your book's called Rules to the Game. You can put that into Amazon Audible and get that. Mm -hmm. um, Kindle too. And yep. uh, so anyway, you take in books, you can get it. Rules to the Game. So search it up in whatever platform you want to get it in. And uh, if you need a Lexus, you go to uh, charles.cannon at lexusofsaramonte.com. I'm sure you can help somebody out nationwide. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. We have dealerships all over the country. Be happy to. There you go. There and you if go. nothing else, even if it can't buy for you, I'd be happy to give you some advice. My man, appreciate you. Appreciate you for that. All right. Very good, Charles. It's been a pleasure. Really appreciated the time we had today. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. And uh, I'll say hello to your family. I'm sure you'll... When, when do you get to see them next as we as we wrap up? Uh, uh, next month. I, I was just next there month. last weekend. They spent the week right. out here for spring break. So yeah, I'll be next month sometime. Cool. All right. Well, have fun in April with them. And... Um, Oh, there's your family right there. Yeah, that's that's my my middle daughter, one that's going yep. to graduate this year. My wife. Very good. Well, happy times. Congrats on her forthcoming graduation, man. Again, yeah. appreciate your time. Thank you, for, thank you for taking that time, and we'll see you next week on the Big Ticket Life. Everybody, take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Claim your gift at gift.bigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat, in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today, where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors, that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now, accept this gift, book your call, go to gift.thebigticketlife.com Dot live. Again, that's a gift. Dot the big ticket life. Dot live.